At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Monday night edition of the pod brings another nail in the coffin to my playoff predictions as the Utah Jazz go up 3-1 off of two dominating victories over the Oklahoma City Thunder in Salt Lake City. This one was not even as close as the final 113-96 to score indicated. The Jazz with really an offensive victory. I think that's been the first thing I'll point to in this series that's been most disappointing for OKC is their total inability to stop what was an average jazz offense this year i haven't cared for their strategy i haven't cared for their execution we knew that there was a chance they would struggle offensively why why haven't they been able to stop utah it has been a strange mix of scheme failure and execution failure so in this one there were a few times where you're sitting there going why is joe ingles so open and a couple of those times it was later later in the game especially in the second half because russell westbrook picked up his fourth foul in the second quarter actually they put russ on yeah. Ingles, and so he lost him a couple that, times that was even ball. the case that's at the, a little that bit was even the case at the end of the second quarter when he when he hit the three threes i i believe right. that all three of those were when westbrook was guarding him but that wasn't even necessarily the foul trouble because like closing out on a shooter you should be able to do that as well right <laughs> oh no i'm just saying because russell westbrook is bad right, at defense right. like you know he loses guys well, well he, no like no that. you're but being also, too harsh on him danny he did he picked up ricky rubio like twice full court like what are you talking about he's great at defense yep and that one time he played good defense on james harden for like 10 minutes but uh i mean it, it's hard because that is certainly a part of this story and you know Melo's limitations there were points when utah was going after him as well that was not really the three-point defense that was more donovan mitchell getting drives but overall just oklahoma city i mean it wasn't as egregious to me as in game three when they were just leaving that corner open and rubio was getting the ball there or they were getting it to to go bare or whatever and they were getting it it wasn't that egregious but it, it's just producing too many and other than donovan mitchell and donovan mitchell was was wonderful in this game we'll talk about some of the stuff that he did utah's one-on-one creators are not so dangerous that you need to be selling out to stop them a lot of the time you know rubio is a, is a nice passer i like a lot of what he does but you trust your own players to not get beaten one-on-one and the jazz aren't going to do that much on that end of the floor they can be wonderful defensively M- maybe they can get out and transition a little bit but but I've been shocked at how scared OKC has been of penetration and of their well, creators. And Donovan Mitchell, okay, I get it. He's maturing into an excellent finisher, right? You play him two-on-two two in the pick-and-roll. He gets going downhill. He can score over you. Has Ricky Rubio made one layup in this entire series in the half court? Like, I don't think he has. And yet, you know, they send him left every time. And Steven Adams is all the way out to the three-point line. Make him pick up his dribble. And then in game three, you mentioned they changed the scheme. They had the weak side corner man going all the way up to basically like plug the roll man at the free throw line this time they weren't as aggressive with that but ricky rubio i mean you're playing directly into his strengths with that coverage because he's got good size at the point and he can bait you either to go back out to the corner and then you're gonna give up alley-oops as they did right at the start of the third quarter when it was westbrook guarding the man in the opposite corner ingles and then you know they got two alley-oops one to favors one to gobert because westbrook didn't want to jump in there and get a foul on those alley-oops or you know he'll bait you towards the roll man and then find the guy in the opposite corner Mitchell has started to be able to throw that pass as well but again you know if Mitchell he could pull a three off the dribble he's looking better with that although you know I still would live with that shot until he hits a few of them um Rubio is not gonna pull a three off the dribble when you go under on him so maybe try going under or just conventional fight over the screen and you've got Steven Adams waiting back there and play it two on two and make Ricky Rubio make a layup 
over at least a semi-decent contest and they just they haven't even tried that in this series you know all right you okay you try it you get beat i get it but uh didn't really make a, a ton of sense to me beyond the idea of trying it and getting beat what oklahoma city's doing isn't working you know you can get the idea of okay well you try something until it fails and then you try something else this has been failing for most of four games i mean they had they've they've okay see did win one but they need to do a lot differently and you can there's an argument to be made that okc's defense has a significantly lower scene without robertson just because of personnel but he wouldn't be pap- he wouldn't be papering over all of these miscues he'd be helping a lot um and i thought that they have looked their best in this series you know it, middle of the second quarter was the best that they looked in this game they actually led it 30 to 24 after one uh and then the highest number of points they put up in a quarter after that was 23 which was a struggle they're below a point per possession yet again in this series but i thought the best they looked was with grant at the four they're able to get him finishing around the rim they're able to get some activity some offensive boards some block shots i mean that level when we've seen okc's defense be at its best over the years even going back to the kevin durant era but now even this year you know you remember that game that Melo got the sprained ankle in oakland and they turned over the warriors a, a million times in early february and won you know that was grant and now of course carmelo anthony is carmelo anthony and we've talked ad nauseum about how they need to find uh someone else namely grant to play at the four but you know because he isn't doing anything offensively he's five out of 18 tonight and 11 points on had one free throw attempt uh and then grant actually gives them something defensively he gives them something in transition some momentum plays but you know they feel like they can't go that way I, I was very curious to see if this game was close down the end whether donovan to save their season actually would go in another direction for Mello, but uh it wasn't even close enough that it became an issue yeah you're right i hadn't really given it too much thought but the idea that coaches know what their best lineup is what their best configuration is and only go to it when they absolutely have to that we didn't get that opportunity and russell westbrook you know i, I mean there are a lot of different things to say about him and i i, I don't like some of the revisionism again this is a point we've talked about before but it's worth repeating about how this season is some sort of referendum or something something silly like that on his MVP year his MVP year was basically if you get 100% outcome for Russell Westbrook things can go really well he was much better last year but in this game he's not the same player that he he was was last year and in this game Westbrook five shots in the restricted area made three of those four shots paint non-restricted made two of those two of six from mid-range missed all three of his threes and he didn't get he got to the line 11 times that you know so he ended up with 23 points on 24 shooting possessions also had three assists which was actually the team high because okc only had 10 as a team and westbrook had five turnovers and one of those remarkable stats i think you and i both noticed this on twitter royce young tweeted out there were only 13 potential assists for russell westbrook in this game yeah which is a very low number for him a potential assist being a pass leading to a shot attempt that had it gone in would have registered as an assist um so it's really just too hard for Westbrook when Rudy Gobert is on the floor at this point and they tried the Patrick Patterson thing in game three they had some temporary success with that they didn't really go back to that much uh to try and match Patterson up with Gobert this game Patterson wasn't able to do very much uh Paul George had maybe the worst 32 point game that you can remember six turnovers for him five turnovers for Westbrook that was they combined for 11 of the Thunder 14 turnovers George was trying to work in pick and roll a lot it was wasn't looking great he was getting stripped a fair amount only had two assists he did manage to draw 12 uh free throws but that was really the only thing that saved his night particularly two of nine from three and, and as a team the thunder were five out of 26 and maybe if they hit a few more shots they could be in this game but who on this team are like these great shooters you know abrinas was two for two there's nobody else you look at it's like oh old reliable three-point shooter just wasn't going in for him uh carmelo is not a reliable three-point shooter any longer he's 0 for six in this game and uh, now we've been focusing on okc this entire time and part of that is because there is an expectation both for them this season and coming into the series as the team with home court that they were going to be more competitive and and perhaps they still can be 3-1 going back home is not quite the death sentence that it is when you're on the the road and you're still facing two more road games in the series but the utah jazz were 27 and 5 over their last 32 games and they're showing exactly why in this series 
donovan mitchell has one of like the four or five highest ever rookie scoring averages through four games in the playoffs rudy gobert 16 points four offensive boards he killed them on the offensive glass in this game too uh and then of course he was plus 19 they just cannot get anything around the rim when he's been in there and there's points made by me earlier in this series just not necessarily a point but just a hey you know let's watch this this has been a good data point for gobert in the idea that he really is that valuable player that he is a top 15 type of player uh because okc has been totally shut down and while the jazz have a lot of good defensive players and i think that's a big part of why they've been successful by the way is they really just don't have any weak links on this team uh that gobert of course is the heart of that he makes all of those guys in the perimeter a lot better and if indeed they go on to beat the thunder i can't wait to see how the houston rockets attack gobert and this jazz team in the next series that is going to be absolutely fascinating okay have a this is pretty remarkable i i looked it up and for the series so you know we're only through four games it is this is admittedly small sample size theater when rudy gobert has been on the floor 27 percent of oklahoma city's free field goal attempts have been in the restricted area and then 10 percent from floater range when gobert has been off the floor 40 percent and 14 percent so the attempts are are an, an absolutely massive part of that the success rate is actually pretty similar on on restricted area shots but if you basically have their role in the offense that's going to nuke most teams efficiency especially since the jazz historically have had a low foul rate with gobert on the floor yeah and if you're a three-point heavy team and you can get off threes and hit them or if you're you know the golden state warriors one of the greatest mid-range shooting teams of all time you can get away with not getting that much at the rim or maybe you can actually actually draw gobert away from the rim every once in a while uh but that's easier said than done because he does have a lot of mobility as well but uh the thunder clearly are not the team to do that and i suppose we should talk about the result of the i'm gonna shut that shit off russ comments um you know he didn't play that well rubio was plus 22 in the game he also drew all four in one way or another of westbrook's fouls in the first half and i laud donovan not that he had a choice westbrook probably would have thrown a fit if he'd been taken out and he finally did sit down with the fourth foul but and hopefully that doesn't mean that more teams like don't go to leaving a low foul player in the game but he first like he inadvertently tripped rubio then he was trying to pressure him up full court and just like rubio just stopped and he ran him over that was the second foul third foul was a total phantom call where he actually hustled back after being under the rim on offense and just completely destroyed a rubio shot from behind and somehow got called for the foul it should have been abrinas who was the primary defender on rubio on the play uh and then the last one was rubio taking what looked like a pretty legit charge uh, on him and westbrook did end with five fouls he should have fouled out because he threw rubio to the ground on an offensive rebound later on after taking a really weird euro foul on jay crotter uh, which eventually led to Crowder's ejection as Crowder just for no reason started like yelling at Westbrook and then uh ended up forearming Stephen Adams in the face as Adams ran up on him to pull him off of Westbrook but yeah, I thought Crowder maybe if the game were closer didn't deserve to be ejected but because it was a 20 point game with five minutes left it was like let's just send a message by ejecting this guy and you know avoid further altercations and make sure everyone gets home safe here um but yeah, I mean, it was uh, pretty embarrassing for Westbrook and the team to perform that way with all the shit that he talked. Well, yeah, and there was a lot of that weird feisty stuff once the game was already basically settled. There was also the the talking that happened after Rudy Gobert got hit in the beignets. As and Brent, trademark that Brent was Barry. weird. Brent Barry great great call and I I think what was so weird about that was that there was some talking between Gobert and Westbrook after that because he was kind of gathering himself and to give a double technical was a little bit strange refs I think have gotten overly reliant on the double tech because it you know it's it's a it's a result that for whatever reason they maybe feel people won't complain about but it it is often not an equitable result it hasn't really lingered too much in terms of these like accumulations or anything like that but I feel like there might be a reckoning on that coming at some point and i just think it's lazy officiating you know the, the, not everything is deserves equal punishment both ways yeah i agree with you i also thought that 
Ingles, who was utterly annoying Paul George by just touching him all the time. Dylan Murphy had a good tweet, and I completely agree with it that one of the things you can do as a defender, Del Vadova is great at this too, uh, is just touch a guy all the time and just see how annoyed he gets. And Paul George certainly got very annoyed by that. He got a technical early, but then Ingles got another technical trying to like take the ball away from George after George just like lost the ball into the backcourt, but didn't really seem to be doing much. But there's no way George was going to get his second technical in that situation. And that was really the beginning of the huge jazz run was the end of the second quarter westbrook goes out and for all we've uh, crapped on his game he still had a much better plus minus than the team as a whole and they really got beat during that period as the jazz took a six point lead outscoring them 34 22 but you knew it was going poorly for okc already because they were giving up a lot of open threes and the jazz missed two were only two of their first 11 threes in the second quarter and then ingles hit three in a row uh but they they had been some pretty good looks for them um so game five now do you give the thunder any kind of a chance here it sure seems to me like the jazz have been so clearly the better team i definitely give okc a chance to win game five there'll be the emotion of it and utah you know they can have cold shooting nights i think utah's defense has been miles better than okc's over the last few games in particular but i mean that would really to me just be delaying the inevitable in all likelihood because utah is the better team they have been the better team the momentum as it were in this series like the the inertia is is I, I god i'm really struggling to come up with an analogy here it's just it's just struggling in the direction i mean i would be very 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 surprised if this goes seven and so it could go six i i, I believe that but okc like we saw how much you know that was a herculean effort by paul george a lot of things went right for okc in their win and then other than that things have largely gone utah's way and the jazz have earned that yeah these these losses have not been particularly close i do expect okc to play with more intensity and defend although you have to imagine imagine it'll be a little bit of a weird crowd at home with the idea that if they lose paul george is probably gone they're all happy about this renaissance this year you know under russ and what's going to happen to this team next year if they lose no one expected them to lose in potentially five games so you could see the crowd uh experiencing some nerves to be sure so i don't know how much home court advantage they'll necessarily have compared to the normal okc crowd utah certainly had the hell of a home court advantage in these last two games you could see them winning game five i think the jazz need to come out and at least like make it close though and serve serve notice to okc that like okay maybe you won at home but you didn't find something you know don't don't do the 2015 clippers we're just going to get blown out on the road in game five and just assume we're going to come back home and win it uh in game six because that you know things you only have one shot anything can happen just ask uh those clippers just ask uh, the 2016 thunder about that when you're the road team with a 3-1 lead but i largely agree with you because i don't think that the there's anything that okc can solve here you know maybe it's westbrook just being even more aggressive and just getting hot for mid-range maybe mellow can hit some shots every once in a while Uh, george could go off again you know like they are capable of winning games but the problem of gobert of getting efficient offense i mean i don't see where that comes from other than hero ball maybe steven adams could get gobert into foul trouble he had i think a total of one offensive rebound in the two games in salt lake city like he needs to be a lot better in 35 minutes than one offensive rebound I think they could maybe try some more of those Adams post-ups on Gobert, which maybe try to get him into foul trouble or see if uh, Adams could just score on him, which he actually has done pretty efficiently. Had two beautiful left-handed hooks early on in the game. And and I think obviously, you know, whether the will exists to do this, but, you know, less Carmelo, more Grant. Josh Hustis, I think, is probably going to play more now. Corey Brewer has not given them anything from three. You know, he's only, if he's only, get, only getting off two three-point attempts when he's not really being guarded, you know, you might as well just go with Houston and, and I think maybe your option here is just try to play this to a scoreless tie and be there at the end and hope that your closer can come through I think that's really but you know that doesn't I'm sure you're not wowed by that strategy there was an interesting quote from Isaiah Thomas on NBA TV after the game he said this is referring to the Oklahoma City Thunder in listening to them talk I sense that they don't seem to understand why they're losing and strategically they haven't figured out a way how to attack Utah and how they can win the basketball game and I think that's a pretty astute interpretation and i think that's a criticism both of the players and of the coaching staff because the coaching staff hasn't been really willing to go to some of these wholesale changes that have been pretty glaringly necessary i thought they tried yeah i thought they tried stuff in game three um it wasn't necessarily what i would have tried um 
I thought they were too aggressive in the pick and roll coverage. Uh, and Snyder and the Jazz coaching staff and the Jazz ball handlers, Ingles, another guy, just, are just too smart for that kind of hyper aggressiveness to work. The, the Jazz, you're going to a strategy that gets beaten by moving the ball, and the Jazz are one of the best teams in the NBA at moving the ball. You know, um, I think more switching maybe could work as well, especially they went to more switching towards the end of the third. I think whenever they've got Exum on the floor, you know, go ahead and switch because uh, they usually have and rubio is totally switchable especially anytime mitchell is out of the game i think you can go to a lot of switching or if they've got crowder in and ingles out that crowder has not hit a shot in this series basically so then the rockets have shown this that when you switch it's not even about the individual matchup so much as it is about being able to shrink the floor behind and the iso that follows uh, even if it is against an inferior defender but uh, so those are things to try but you know they did try like the patterson thing they've changed up i I still think the more conservative pick and roll coverage too especially when it's rubio i mean if it's mitchell fine get your ass up there pressure him whatever uh if it's rubio hell no two on two make a layup on us you know the rondo coverage and frankly the rubio coverage that has existed for years or go under or whatever it is uh but make that dude make some layups he has not shown it in his career he's been a little better this year but he's not shown overall in his career that he can do that and if he does it then he does it but that's the thing they haven't tried yet anything else you wanted to add here no i'm excited to see how this game five goes because while i have a sense of you know the end result of the series what we see from oklahoma city will be somewhat telling in terms of i guess something i i mean i feel like paul george if they lose this series it'd be really hard to come back because the no. only i mean getting robertson would I mean, certainly if help, you go to the like, lakers what would even, he be coming you go back to the lakers to? even you probably have a brighter future than staying there in okc yeah, especially with their financial flexibility which okc does right. not and have. oh robertson is going to come back like all right calm down like this idea number one that he's like a defensive player of the year candidate seems a, a little bit too far for him and number two he's coming back from a torn patellar tendon which is not exactly the easiest to come back from and still if you get into the playoffs he doesn't need to be guarded at all so it, it, he's much more of a regular season player and paul george obviously is someone who wants to get there i mean you know you know westbrook's gonna come out with just a crap load of intensity i mean has he even had a good game yet in this series like i don't think he has right so um is it gonna be focused smart intensity uh the indications from today would be no but uh certainly he was playing at a very crazy way that you know does not inspire a lot of confidence in the the rest of the team uh especially playing on the road to be out of control like that is probably not a great idea um all right we'll get to houston minnesota and then we also got to talk some prospects here in the southwest division it was a light night tonight so we finally get a chance to get to that a little bit right after this from dollar shave club Dollar Shave Club doesn't just have razors or shave butter anymore. They have shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. And really, there's no reason to be like going to the grocery store to get these items anymore. Number one, Dollar Shave Club, I think, gives you better quality stuff at a better price. And if you join their club, they make sure that you have all this stuff on a regular basis. So you don't have to worry that you ran out of toothpaste all of a sudden in the morning and have to ask your roommate for some or just not have any and have to just use listerine that actually happened to me a couple times in my youth it's not gonna happen anymore now and of course you will get their amazing high quality shave every morning with their executive razor and their dr carver shave butter is also fantastic it goes on clear which is helpful so you can see where you're shaving and also you know make sure that you didn't miss any areas as well so it's time to clean up your bathroom and your morning routine join dollar shave club today and for just five dollars with free shipping you will get the six blade six blade Blades, executive razor, plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and their one wipe Charlie's. Then you can keep those blades coming for a few bucks more per month. The way to get started with them, dollarshaveclub.com slash capspace. Easy to remember that slash capspace URL we talk about all the time here on the program. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash capspace. The Houston Rockets scored 50 points on 26 possessions in the third quarter of their April 23rd game four against the Minnesota the Timberwolves at Target Center. 14 of 24 from the field, 9 of 14 from three, a perfect 13 of 13 from the line, no turnovers, just an absolutely ridiculous performance in a game that I was a little bit surprised at how close it was at halftime just because I thought, I, I expected the Rockets to, to hit a few more shots, maybe just due to gravity or whatever else because the regression to the mean, or is that progression to the mean when it's they're below the I think standard? it probably would be, yeah. But yeah, progression to the mean. And then that all 
overall came in the third quarter, a lot of that driven by Chris Paul and James Harden. Yeah, Harden and Paul, 37 of the 50 points themselves. Harden had 22 of those. They were going under on Harden DHOs, on Harden screens. He was just banging threes, making him pay every time. Amazing to think that Harden actually ended, uh, or was over his first seven in this game. And the what's wrong with James Harden calls were happening. Also worth noting that the Wolves only scored 20 points in that quarter. They got outscored by 30 points in one quarter. Uh, Carl Towns did finish with 22 points, but he did a lot of his damage late once things were, were already decided. And of course, Tom Thibodeau ensured that there was plenty of time to do damage late because he left Jimmy Butler in for 38 minutes in a game that was a 30-point game after three quarters. They did hustle back and get it to 16 at one point. Good for you. Um, and it's not like Butler has been injured or anything. In any event, we saw that the Wolves were able to be effective to some degree attacking those switches by going quickly i thought that houston did not do a good enough job of shrinking the floor and you saw right away in this game even at the beginning that they're going to do a much better job of that pj tucker who had a knee injury scare but appears to be okay later on the first three drives of the game for minnesota tucker is just standing right there in the restricted area helping off a taj gibson uh, who only had two points in 20 minutes they were not able to make houston pay for helping off of him at all jang actually even hit a couple of threes and and ironically with towns getting in foul trouble right away two fouls like the first two minutes of the game i thought it actually looked a little bit better out there their strategy with jang uh as the defensive center that's damning with faint praise to be sure but uh the strategy of having towns lay back in the pick and roll they really started carving that up in the second just were missing shots and then the torrent finally was un unleashed for a houston team that must have been saying finally and and uh i think they hit every single shot that they had missed over the first three games uh in that third quarter which was by the way one of the great historical quarters maybe the best offensive quarter in nba playoff history in fact for a second when you said the torrent was unleashed i thought you were going to be talking about derrick rose's first half yep rose actually finished 17 points 7 of 11 uh he was actually plus six showed some derrick rose is plus six mm-hmm. in a game they trailed by 30 after uh after three quarters um but no i mean where i was trying to lead to on that was only one other team has ever scored more than 50 points in a playoff quarter that was the 61 62 lakers in a game that they actually lost they trailed by 28 going into that quarter but remember of course back then the pace was just ridiculous right we don't have specific possession counts from back then but they took over 100 just field goal attempts in that game so one would guess that the pace was much faster and so the overall efficiency for the rockets and it's almost a 200 offensive rating for an entire quarter it's two points every time you're down the court that's just a completely insane they even even more embarrassing for minnesota despite the rockets hitting every shot every time they missed it seemed like someone like capella who had seven offensive rebounds and had 14 and 17 for the game in addition to four blocks was like out hustling them for offensive rebounds and then kicking it out for threes that they of course immediately hit it was a pretty embarrassing effort from the wolves in the third quarter but you know just this is one of the greatest offenses of all time and it's good to see them finally get going to that type of a level and that lines up what looks like it's going to be a a really intriguing series obviously both these teams still have to win one game i mean because houston is now getting looks like they're getting a little closer on track i'd like to see a little bit more from them in game five because you know one quarter even one half is is not enough but you mentioned it i mean utah is playing incredibly well right now these teams have very different strengths and weaknesses and that could be i i don't necessarily think it's going to be a a super close series i still have to wrap my brain all the way around it but i'm excited i'm gonna be excited for every single game of it i liked that d'antoni gave harden a little bit longer rest than normal it seemed like uh after he started 0 for 7 he took him out and and like maybe you know two or three minutes left in the first and then didn't bring him back until maybe four or five minutes gone by in the second and when he came back in it seemed to kind of like reset him a little bit you'll see steve kerr do that with steph curry once in a while like take him out earlier than normal if he's really struggling to just kind of like get him to reset get him a, a, a good rest um you know minnesota really failed in the first quarter to take advantage offensively of the really slow start from houston and then you know they obviously he got blown out at the end and what do you make of carl towns again he did a little bit in garbage time but of him continuing to just fail as a post-up player in
in this series? It's confounding because I thought that was one of the competitive advantages Minnesota would have, especially with the switch heavy system. And Capella has done a wonderful job on Towns, which yeah, is he's just like he's like blocked some of his jump hooks. Like he's really been impressive. And, and I don't know whether Towns just hasn't succeeded in like getting his shoulder into him enough. And like I thought he could really use his power and overwhelm Capella, but that has just not been the case at all. And he he hasn't been able to score on Harden either. Pretty much, you know, I mean, they're shrinking the floor, but it's relatively one on one. And it seems like he's really kind of just in his own head of like, okay, this I have to get this type of shot instead of just like playing basketball. And the one time that he got the ball and just went right away, he had a beautiful spin move uh, on Eric Gordon and, and got a layup. But overall, it was just he's really. I mean, I thought like, and it's everyone's like, oh, no, no post game, he sucks. Like, no, this is the best post up center in the NBA this year, as far as I was concerned. And it's just been shocking to see him struggle to this kind of a degree in the post even given the lack of spacing around him one other note i wanted to make while we're talking about disappointing minnesota young guys andrew wiggins ended this game with 14 points on 16 shooting possessions he made exactly one shot outside the restricted area and it's good that he actually got in the restricted area enough to to score some points in this game but he just wasn't the same player to me that he was in game three and you know it was certainly nice to see that and i've been insanely critical of Wiggins this year but I would say game four is more like what we have seen at least so far it can always change than what than what game three represented yeah and while Rose did play well they really missed Jeff Teague who I think has been the one guy in this series who's been successful attacking on switches just with his speed getting into the lane and forcing help like he really is at least able to blow by the initial defender on just about anyone who's been on him and maybe he doesn't have the room to get the shot but he at least is now contorting the defense and is able to potentially create something but he had five assists in this one still but was only one out of seven negative 28 in 28 minutes um i mean not much else to say on this this is just houston taking care of business this is the wolves not having the defensive players i mean i think jimmy butler had a good game in game three i've been disappointed by his ability to create separation on switches i always thought he was maybe a little overrated in that regard but really he just like can't get by anyone you know like he's he's like getting into the lane he looks like you know college evan turner where he'll get in the lane but like his defender is still between him and the basket even if it's a switch guy and then he's got to kind of go into this pivot and go to a fadeaway you know he does not have the burst that we've seen from him you know maybe two years ago and even then he wasn't like an absolute elite switch attacker necessarily uh sure he's coming off the knee injury it's been been a while for him he's got this wrist issue as well though he actually you know i I thought he's looked pretty good shooting like spot up three pointers in this series but it's just you know he hasn't been able to get good shots you know and i think that's just largely been the case for this wolves team like they have some good shot creators on this team they're able to take care of that a little bit in game three but i did think they got better shots too i mean like guys like wiggins were getting open threes and hitting them but houston has largely shut them down and when they finally got their offense going it was just total lights out for this wolves team who uh it would seem the uh, gentleman's sweep would be inevitable in game five i don't know if we're even going to pot on that one frankly unless it ends because i think there are aren't there two three other games that night yeah it's it's a part of that very frustrating wednesday where not only are there four games but it's two games played at exactly the same time and then two games played at exactly the same time yeah that's no good they could at least stagger it like the ncaa is that like the NCAA uh, tournament yeah so that'll that game is going to be at exactly the same time as thunder jazz game five yeah and i think thunder jazz game five will clearly be what we will be focusing on for the twitter nba show which i was forced to do alone today uh i, I got i really got to enjoy that like 10 minute jay crowder re- review with nothing to talk about but uh good, good to know you'll be back on wednesday we're not doing it tomorrow hey i, I got i i asked you a good question you just chose not to answer it <laughs> Yeah, God, what the hell are they going to do next year? You, you asked me uh, whether Kyle Singler would uh, be the Thunder starting small forward next year. Now he will uh, inevitably be stretched, I- I'm sure. Oh, and actually, you remember we were talking about that question the other day of like who would be the first player stretched this offseason? He- he's certainly a candidate. I think he's only got one year left now and then another like non-guaranteed year. So they can actually... It's still Al Jefferson. I firmly believe it. Well, well yeah, well, I guess choice. it depends when his, his guarantee date is probably pretty early. So I think that's 
probably why it'll happen i bet you his guarantee date is let me look that up actually guarantee date is oh no actually not guaranteed until the league-wide cutdown date so i i disagree with you he will not be the first person stretched i think it'll be i think it'll actually might be cole aldrich he's got a super early guarantee date with only two million guaranteed well but does it get cole aldrich's guarantee date is actually in june i was working on minnesota's offseason preview so i don't know if that counts does it if, it, if it's before the draft uh yes it, uh, it was it's it in was, the off which season, would be so earlier I, guess it does. I believe june is is before july so yes that would that would count Boo. Uh, all right we're getting far afield here let's do a read and then we'll talk uh the dallas mavericks prospects review for this season I am lucky enough that I have never needed contacts, but I have known many people in my life who have, including my fiance. And it's always just seemed like an unbelievable pain in the butt to go and get your prescription, to have to go to the store and pick up new contacts like every month or whatever it is. Just seems totally miserable. And that's why I told my fiance about Simple Contacts when they wanted to be a sponsor. And so I'm like, here, you download the app, do their test real quick. She's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do this test. Like, I'm like, no, here, you have to do it. You know, they, they want to be a sponsor. You got to tell us what you think of it. So she does it and she's like, yeah, you know, that took me like three or four minutes, five minutes. Like, what was the point of that? And I was like, oh, well, actually you just saved yourself an entire trip to the doctor. And she was like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess that was worth it. It, It's nice to actually be right every once in a while uh, about this stuff since I so rarely am uh, uh, on these domestic discussions shall we say but simple contacts is fantastic you go to the doctor you're gonna have an appointment you're gonna wait there well past the time of your appointment especially if it's at the end of the day you have to skip work for only $20, you can renew your prescription with their online test. They test that your current prescription still helps you see 2020, and then they renew that prescription. They still are going to say, hey, if you need a new prescription, you should probably go see an eye professional. And also, you should periodically see one to uh, examine your eye health. But if you're just renewing a prescription, there's no easier way to do it. You spend the $20, and then you can just order your contact lenses for them. Their prices are unbeatable, and you just get them shipped right right to you super easy don't have to make a separate trip to the store best part is my listeners get $30 off their first simple contacts order different url here uh that's dunk d-u-n-c simplecontacts.com slash dunk d-u-n-c or enter the code dunk at checkout the cap space code was corrupted by some coupon site so we had to change it for tracking purposes but if you enter that code dunk or go to simplecontacts.com slash dunk you can get $30 off your contacts and of course let them know that you came from us that's d-u-n-c dunk is the code for this one at simple contacts it's been so intense with the playoffs i always kind of just enjoy forgetting for a little while about the crappier teams in the league and just not having to think about them necessarily or watch them for a little bit but dennis smith is one of our favorite players with the mavs well, let's do the fundamentals. We, yeah, yeah. No, I guess that's to, good. It's end. good to kind of have a, a an idea of how they finish yeah. things. And and I I actually went through and compiled the end of the season one, so I feel like might as well okay. do that. So Dallas and ended the season twenty four and fifty eight, two and ten in the last bit, well tanked. Ended up getting winning the coin flip for the third best lottery odds. Twenty second net rating at negative three point two. Twenty fourth in offense. A still shocking sixteenth in defense. And I, I'm in, intrigued by where they go, but also a part of this kind of before we get into Des Smith is this is not a particularly young team especially if you consider it the way that we did where guys who are still young in terms of age but have been in the NBA for a while like Nerlens Noel like Harrison Barnes don't really count for this sort of young prospect yeah I don't think we need to discuss Noel especially since his body of work was so limited this season and you're right I mean they don't have a ton Smith was really the first pick that they've had remember they gave up their pick in the Rondo deal I think that actually ended up being Gershon Yabusele, which uh, not all draft picks work out in 2016 they had justin anderson in 2015 he's not on the team anymore so it's basically just been guys that they found at the minimum outside of dennis smith so he so he's the main guy the numbers were not amazing in terms of his efficiency 47 percent true shooting that is of course god awful uh the league average is around 55 56 percent these days it's a little bit lower for guards certainly but uh, that is an unacceptable number you're it is nearly impossible to help your team 
offensively with that type of true shooting maybe if you're a ricky rubio type of player who's just amazing passing vision which uh, although smith i think has underrated vision uh he's not anywhere near at that level but i thought he really came on towards the end to the point where they even sat him because they believed that he was hurting their tank uh, and they had some huge wins at the end against phoenix against orlando god those were just just incredible games thank god it's the playoffs um if you had to say was smith above or below your preseason expectations what, what would your thought be so he, he was pretty much right on but i would say if he had to go one direction or the other i would say a little bit below defensively we knew he would be bad but he was maybe even worse than anticipated we talked about this a lot going back to the worst team all defense he just didn't really play with enough force on that and then offensively there were certainly the the flashes the call signs of what could be a, a dynamic play Player, but you know just not seeing a shot fall except for 61 percent at the rim you know I, i'm i'm okay with with that, that for him. that's really for but, a rookie point guard that is really good like th- that is excellent now yeah. he didn't get to the foul line at all like that's something that he, he really needs nope. to improve his craft there uh because his free throw rate only 19 percent, and for a guy who drives that much like he's really especially when you consider too that you know he really loves to like get up and dunk on guys i think sometimes by drawing fouls on those plays you can actually reduce the wear and tear as long as you're not just like crashing into the ground necessarily you know if you're just kind of using tricks to draw contact or getting getting a shove from your defender feeling contact throwing up some bullshit you know he's got to learn how to do all that and, and as fast as he is you know i think he can really can get there um and I thought his jump shot, just watching it, looked a little bit better. He looked more comfortable. I thought he learned to shoot two-point jumpers as the year went on to kind of hop into that shot, which was not a shot he really had at NC State. I think it was like, you know, 25% on two-point jumpers at NC State. And so, there, and there's nothing wrong with his shot in terms of just watching it. It didn't go in. His shot selection was not good. Uh, but, uh, and maybe he'll never get better as a shooter, but there's a lot of 19-year-old point guards who just shoot a terrible percentage from the field. And I think I, at least the fact that he's able to get up as many shots as he did with that 28% usage that's almost encouraging even if maybe the decision making wasn't unbelievable and then his turnover rate 15% is high but it's not just like so incredibly astronomical for comparison but like JJ Perez was 16% so it's uh, and that's uh I don't know I, to me I was a little I, I, I think I generally have been higher on him although you've used I think we're both higher on him than the overall consensus but I think this was about where I believe that that he could be i don't think there wasn't that much that i was disappointed in i think you know if his usage had been lower and his efficiency were this low i might feel bad but you know he took a, a ton of shots and he was able to generate them and i think that he if he becomes more judicious especially since he shot so well at the rim that maybe uh he can get more efficient that way and i think his shot will go in a little bit more too and dennis smith is just so explosive that you can see a lot of the other elements getting better a as the mavericks improve the talent around him i could see that happening over the next couple of years and his defensive flaws won't matter as much when they you know once they move on from jerk and can actually kind of go in a more cogent direction there and if the jump shot it's i don't think it's ever going to be like uh the strength the the centerpiece yeah. of his offensive game but if it can get to a point where teams can't just live by going under on it that opens up so much more of the rest of smith's offense yeah, i mean game. it's all relative right now the fact that he shot 69 percent from the line is a little discouraging he used to be a it was a seven percent free throw shooter in college i think like 73 percent or something but uh, that i'd like to see a little bit better that's a, a data point that might augur against him being as good of a shooter as we hope but he got up to 31 percent from threes by the end of the year you know there was a point at which he was below that i think with the shots that he took i mean pretty much all of his shots are off the dribble and to shoot 31 percent uh he was at 6.0 three-point attempts per 36 minutes that's uh, and when you compare him his shooting to russell westbrook or Derek rose or john wall some of the wall is more size than him but some of these other kind of nuclear athletic point guards he's a, at a better level than all of them were as rookies and he's finished at the rim pretty well you know about the same level as them and i think that even compared to westbrook or rose he's got more vision than those guys now he's not probably 
probably not as good of a player as rose was as a rookie rose is coming into a better team the one thing i think he also really needs to do and a lot of this i think is philosophy too is he's a great transition point guard and the mavericks just never run and i don't know whether that's him not pushing it hard enough i don't know whether that's rick carlisle saying uh no you got to slow it down but i mean the biggest reason why their offense was below average this year in the half court they're actually above average it's just they never ever run and so if they could just do more of that and they have you know dwight powell harrison Barnes, those guys should be able to get out and run a, a little bit with him that would be good and I, actually there's one other thing where i thought he did exceed expectations as well and he, he avoided a major injury which we were concerned about. he played 69 games he probably if they hadn't been tanking yeah. probably could have gotten into the 70s that's a full season essentially he had some uh was plagued by ankle sprains to some degree he had knee soreness where he'd miss a couple games here and there but the fact that he didn't suffer an injury that was major at all i, I think is important as well for his long-term growth because that was one of the big concerns is that he'd already has a torn acl in his past you mentioned this so i looked it up smith averaged four eight threes per game this is an upper 36 minutes per game 2.7 of those were pull-ups so that's a majority and he shot 27 percent on those 27.4 to be specific and then he took 2.1 catch and shoot shot 37 percent on those that's right there's actually a lower percentage of off the dribble shots than i might have expected comprising that but they, they he would play with other point guards at, at time too uh, so yeah i still feel very good about his future you know he's been passed by donovan mitchell in this draft class but i still would take him over any of the other point guards drafted in this draft class as of now if marco fultz rediscovers yeah, his I, mean, jumper, if, if, I would i would change that yeah if fultz if fultz were 100 percent, it would be a different case but i i have smith over fultz as well just because of the possibility that that never comes and smith i i wonder whether he's gonna play at all in summer league this year just because i would love to see him against that kind of competition again i'd be shocked he, he if he did why it, even but, risk the injury again i yeah i i think what will probably happen is he'll be with the team but he won't yeah play. it does seem like one of those maybe it. he'll play a game or two uh i hope he does i enjoy watching him but it's uh it, it seems foolish especially with his style yeah i mean it'll be good for him to be with the team to practice to play some defense but yeah i mean n- no reason to to push it there um talk about some of their other guys very briefly and really probably the only other one that's worth discussing about since jordan finney smith uh had only played you know under 350 minutes this year with the he had his own quad tendon issues don't ever injure your quad tendon by the way apparently uh yogi farrell who was a great story last year coming in fueled a mid-season resurgence for a time played a little bit of a different role he would play alongside smith at times only a 17 percent usage rate right about the league average in true shooting i mean i think he's been not an amazing distributor he generally would play you know next to a devin harris or smith i think they even played him with beret every once in a while but usually there would be another point guard in the backcourt yeah they even did the energizer bunny combination which was feral harris and beret i believe yeah with harris at, at the three and you know as it's against certain teams you can get away with that type of an alignment especially off the bench but feral was never gonna be like some big star even though he had some of those huge games in the middle of last year he had already started regressing by the end of the last season but i think he's a guy who could be a quality off the bench type of option he's not really going to get to the rim very much he takes only 15 percent of his shots there does shoot a good percentage since he's judicious about his attacks and from three 37 i think we can look at him as a reliable three-point shooter if not the 40 percent guy that he was at times last year and so I, you can feel pretty good about having him as a backup point guard now he is a restricted free agent this offseason but i certainly would give him a qualifying offer and we'll see I, I don't see him getting an offer elsewhere so this could be one of those ones where maybe he comes back for a little bit more money on a two-year deal something but i, I think you could feel okay about him as your backup point guard just in the regular season in the playoffs his size could potentially get exploited a, a little bit but i don't have that much more to say about him really he's not really much of a distributor can shoot the ball can get out in transition a little bit run a pick and roll you can't really go under on him and that's a useful player type of guy you're happy is on your team as long as you're not paying them too much money and it looks like the mavericks won't have to pay him too much money so they're fine and we should also mention this was his age 24 season yeah that's worth noting smith of course is age 20 season and i don't think we need to talk about their two-way guys really uh i i think everybody has seen quite enough of them just from how much they played down the stretch i don't think i mentioned this on the pod by the way but a massive unintended consequence of the two-way contract rule is tanking 
basketball is like 40 percent worse than it was previously not only because all the teams were together but like when teams do try to tank you now have two more roster spots at your disposal to do that right it's like it used to be you had to at least play a few real nba players in these games at the end of the year just to field an eight or nine man rotation you know you had to at least get like some of your normal rotation guys in there now though with the two-way contracts and then especially with the fact that once the g league season ends you can just bring those guys up in their service time you know they're not taking away the service time anymore now you're playing you're starting games with guys 13 through 17 on the roster and it's just led led to some incredibly awful basketball and uh also led to you know aaron harrison playing 48 minutes in that last game of the season against the suns um but that i've really have it's reduced the overall level of play even normally too because if you think about it let's say you only have 15 guys in the roster and someone a bunch of guys get hurt and you have to sign someone to a 10 day or whatever now you're signing the 451st best guy in that's available but now because everyone else is under two-way contracts you're signing the 511th best guy that's available and that guy is then playing over 60 guys who might be qualified to have that spot but are already under contract in the g league so i've there have been a number of things about the two-way contract system that i haven't liked that much uh and especially yeah well and another one as somebody who had to come through all this because of the quinn cook stuff i am a little bit uncomfortable with how much power teams have over two-way guys after one year you know it's like usually you could get into the you get in these circumstances and so the fact that they only have to tender at a two-way contract and there's a limitation in that you can't do it i think it's only well, th- you there can should only be, be on something akin like to that. like the starter criteria for two-way guys where where you have right. to give them and a so real like you, you have to to keep their rights if they're only on a one-year two-way contract it's like you have to offer them a required tender of a real nba contract uh, or have converted them uh, by the summer where it's because uh, what is the tender if for a two-way guy it's like incredibly cheap right it, it's the two it's another two-way contract it's fifty thousand right. guaranteed and now you can only keep guys on a two-way contract for two years and, and then you have to either sign them or let them go but nonetheless i i think like if guys you know someone like quinn cook or cj williams or ty wallace like those if you're actually like starting games or you're playing you know you play x number of minutes in the games that you're actually active with the team or you play a bunch of games after your 45 days is over and you get brought up again whatever the criteria you could come up with i'm sure there'd be something fair you average a certain number of points per minute or whatever it is you should be able to at least like have that leverage to get a real nba contract instead of just like i played well in the nba for a year and now i'm forced to sign the hinky special because you have this type of leverage over me and these players generally speaking you know you could say oh well they can get an offer in restricted free agency well restricted free agency is already screwed in in favor of the the prior team against the the free agent themselves because they didn't fix the timeline issues and all that and the prospect of making a commitment probably using some of your mid-level exception or something like that to sign a former two-way guy it could happen in narrow cases but it's a lot to ask so throwing them into that pool is even more limited yeah we it actually wouldn't shock me if we saw more restricted free agent offer sheets to two-way guys because you can just use the minimum exception for that and that it's probably something that they would actually sign and you'd think hey this guy's a, on a two-way the team didn't even offer you know didn't bother to convert him until now so we might actually be able to get this guy there might be a feeling that just hey he's not in the other guy in the team's plans but generally if a guy has played well enough to have played a bunch of games unless he's on dallas and they're trying to tank their asses off they're you're probably just going to get matched on that anyway you really would have to like pull out some diamonds in the rough on a team that doesn't have any roster slots or has a lot of guys at that position or you just love the way they played in the g league or whatever and so if they're at that level giving them guaranteed money in an offer sheet and, and also by the way a restricted free agent offer sheet still has to be two years so you're now giving them two years uh see you're right the whole system is kind of messed up i think that'll do it for today though anything you wanted to talk about before we go though well i will mention because we didn't talk about warriors spurs yesterday that i wrote a piece for the athletic on basically the preliminary idea obviously it's not settled yet of what a warriors pelican series could look like kind of some broad scope ideas and i should have a series of pieces coming out for the athletics soon one on the teams with cap space this summer i actually went through and redid the numbers 
now that we have a lot of the lot we have a lot of the draft order set obviously can change with what happens in the lottery and then off-season previews i have the first four written i do not know what order they're going to be released but those are going to start rolling out and i also started writing as something for real gm which is not yet done that'll probably be done the next couple days which will be a danny story time on patreon all right twitter nba show wednesday we will of course have a pod tomorrow on the games but we will not be live since we'll be in oakland for uh that warriors spurs titanic tilt in person touch y'all tomorrow night at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.